predestination, holiness, and science. What do those have to do with John Wesley? Well, let me begin by talking about predestination. Wesley's very close friend and colleague was George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a strong advocate of predestination in the absolute sense. And yet he was a very close friend of Wesley. And let me say at the very outset, Wesley did not consider absolute predestination to be a heresy. He just thought it was a bad opinion and it had bad consequences from a pastoral standpoint. And so he was very much intending to refute it. He also, and I might say it was a misunderstanding on Wesley's part, he also thought that George Whitfield was not really all that important, was not all that important to Whitfield, which is really not true. It's just that when Whitfield and, and Wesley preached together, Whitfield didn't preach on it. But when Wesley wasn't around, Whitfield preached on it. Uh, that is why when Wesley preached the memorial service for, for Whitfield, in 1770, Wesley mentioned that the thing that really characterizes his compatibility with Whitfield was their emphasis on holiness and that the whole idea of predestination is not really all of that an important concept. And, and that upset uh, Whitfield's supporters because they really knew otherwise, but Wesley was mistaken on that. But Wesley was very convinced of the providence of God and God's activity in the world and he certainly agreed with Whitfield and the Calvinists that God had absolute omniscience. And of course the question arises is how can God have absolute omniscience if at the same time we talk about that we have true freedom and that we have the power of contrary choice. And this is where science becomes important. But before I tell you about science and the connection there with predestination let me tell you just a little bit more about, uh, about Wesley's background. Wesley was a High Anglican, and High Anglicans were Arminians. High Anglicans were those who espoused the theology of Thomas Cramer. Whitfield was a Low Anglican, not a High Anglican. And as a Low Anglican, he was influenced by the Puritan theology, which emphasized absolute predestination. And of course what Whitfield did and his influence on Wesley, he influenced Wesley to adopt low church, low Anglican methods of worship. And so Wesley's theology was high church theology and his method was really low church methods. And so there was, there was a great deal of um, uh, compatibility between Wesley and the Calvinists because they also emphasize the importance of the assurance of salvation and the importance of justifying faith. That is a thing that, that bonded together the Methodists, both Wesley and Wesley's connection and also in the Calvinist connection. They all emphasize the importance of having a personal assurance of one's relationship to Jesus Christ. But the Calvinists, and I might say in Wesley's day, they were really the more hyper-Calvinist. And Wesley was concerned about what he called the antinomian implications of Calvinism. Antinomianism means against the law. That they are against the law. We live under grace, so it doesn't matter what the law says. We can't live up to the law. We can't perform the law. Don't even worry about doing the law. We live under grace, and therefore you can do anything you want to, and you still, if you're one of the elect, 
you are the elect. Wesley was deeply concerned about that antinomian implication, and he determined to do something about it. And so he wrote sermons on predestination in which he argued very strongly against predestination because ultimately he said that absolute predestination makes God the author of evil, makes God the author of sin, and it makes no point to preach the gospel if in fact everything has already been predetermined by God's will. But Wesley did agree with the emphasis on God's absolute foreknowledge or God's omniscience. But Wesley did not believe that that meant he believed that uh, everything had been predetermined. But rather he said, God knows everything, but what causes God's knowledge is what will be. And not what will be is not determined by God's knowledge. That's a very important distinction. And he espoused one of the great early theologians by the name of Boethius, his interpretation of uh, divine foreknowledge, in which Wesley says, in agreement with Boethius, foreknowledge is really a metaphor, it's an anthropomorphism, it's not a little statement, God doesn't foreknow anything, that's just a human way of speaking. Rather, God simply knows. God knows everything because everything is instant to God. Even our future, which is still future, is nonetheless present to God because God has transcended. Now, one of the interesting things is, as you examine space-time relativity theory as advocated by Einstein, and which is universally accepted now in science without dispute, it's in all of the major textbooks, Wesley's concept and Boethius' concept that the future is present to God is a very intelligible concept. Because Einstein talked about special relativity and he talked about uh, uh, general relativity. And that means this, that both the size of something and the age of something has to do with speed, how fast things are going. And the faster they go and the faster you get to the speed of time, time slows down and virtually comes to a stop. And in fact, if we could get on a space trip and we could travel into the future, that's what we could do if we could go near the speed of light. And so time is a very relative thing. And so while things are spread out for us, yes, they're spread out for God too in terms of our experience, but in terms of God's own being, everything is present to God. Everything is full in its realization with God here and now. Of course, there is a before and there is an after, even in God. But even the before and after are present within God. And this makes great sense in terms of um, space-time relativity theory. So those today who would argue that God does not really know the future are not arguing in a way that Wesley would agree with. And there are many, I'm afraid, Wesleyans who espouse a type of theology that says God does not really know the future. But they have the old Newtonian view of space and time as if space and time are absolute and time in, in London is the same as time in some other part of the, or some other galaxy of the universe. And we now know that's not true, that time is all very relative. And if that's true in terms of space-time relativity, why is it not true in terms of the transcendence of God? And if God transcends space, He transcends time. Because, 
as evidenced and testified to really by space-time relativity theory. Space and time are not two separate entities. They're two aspects, they're two like two interwoven pieces of, of a fabric. They're together. So wherever you have this space, you've got time. Where you've got time, you've got space. And if God transcends space, he transcends time. And space-time are present to God, and therefore God knows our future. But what God knows of our future is caused by what our future will be. And that must be kept in mind. Otherwise, you get back into the old doctrine of absolute predestination in which then the preaching of the gospel doesn't make a whole lot of sense if it's all been predetermined. This is where Wesley so much disagreed with St. Augustine and agreed with Boethius. St. Augustine said God is timeless. Boethius and Wesley says no time is real to God and yet God transcends it. And therefore, we are responsible persons. We have decisions that we have to make, and God does not predetermine those decisions. The Apostle Paul says, those whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate to conform to the image of his Son. And that's the key. The predestination that God has called us to is that God has provided in advance that all people should live holy lives and be conformed to the image of His Son. And we are responsible for that by responding to the gift of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Music